0: Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 103.9 L.I. News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, but much more importantly, the incomparable, the 90-something-year-old Sonny Fox, uh, former uh, game show host, and uh, also host of Wonderama, children's show host, never talked down to the kids, and that was part of his trademark. Frank, Frank, let let
1: me... Let me save you a lot of time to say, television immortal. Let it go at that.
0: <laughs> How are you, Sonny? I'm
1: remarkably well.
0: Yeah, well, listen, it's, it's always thrilling to talk to somebody who can kind of give a history lesson on the medium. And uh, certainly you can. You can do that. I, let's start from the beginning, if you don't mind. W- where were you born and where were you raised?
1: I was born in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, New York. And I was a Brooklyn kid a little, uh, World War II came along and plucked me away. I, I often uh, say I, World War II started, uh, especially to get me out of Brooklyn. I'm sorry so <laughs> many people had to die on the way, but you know, uh, it worked. Uh, uh,
0: did, did you have any idea growing up in Bensonhurst? Did you have any idea that entertainment was in your future? No, I
1: had no idea about anything in my future. i tell you what, I was a world-class whip growing up at Blackburn. Um, it was, uh, I, I didn't have any friends, really. I had kids I played with on the street, but I n- had no friends, but I had an intense curiosity. So the subway at the Nicola Fair became my passport out of a very limited uh, growing up experience in Gladfish. But I would, uh, for instance, I, I, I heard, that there was a thing called the Sunrise Services on Easter Sunday. I used to read about that, Dawn and all that. So, And I understood that they were also being, doing it at Radio City Music Hall at 6 o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday. So one day I got myself up very early, by myself, walked the 10 blocks to the Seaside Bay Station and went to see the Sunrise. I always loved to go to Radio City Music Hall, like going into a grand palace mm. Uh, and and watch that. So you know, w- w- my curiosity took me all over in New York. That was my playground. I'd go up to the, the Polo Grounds at ten o'clock on a Sunday morning to watch a doubleheader between the Dodgers and the Giants. That's a long trip from Flappers up to Polo Grounds, and take my sandwich and have enough money to buy a Pepsi Cola while I was at, at the bleachers. The games wouldn't start till two in the afternoon because of the blue laws. You couldn't serve liquor on Sunday. Uh-huh. until 2 in the afternoon. So there was no point starting a game until 2 in the afternoon because you couldn't sell any liquor. So it would go on till 8, 8.30 at nine. sometimes called by because of darkness, in those license, and then get on the train and come home. And I'd be gone from you know, 12 hours. And it would cost me, you know, bit, the, the car fare and the nickel and uh, 55 cents to get in. So that was it. So my... my my growing up in Brooklyn, strictly public education, PS-217, I graduated from in 1938. James Madison High School, I graduated from in 1942. And strictly public education through the system and out into the world.
0: Hmm. You, you say you get there at 10.30. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, even back then, you know, what happens at 10.30 in the morning?
1: Well, the guys are out practicing and hitting fungos and throwing around and trotting off. and. uh Practicing their pitching, and you know, I'm just reveling in being in that whole world for taking myself out of my rather restricted environment back home. So it was, it was that, it was just simply immersing myself in a whole different world for that amount of time. I would go to the movies every afternoon, every Saturday afternoon, it was 15 sets to get to the leader on Coney Island Avenue. It would start at one in the afternoon, and you'd have two. One realist, uh, adventures, uh, serial dramas, that cliffhangers. you know, you have to come back next week and see if the guy really is skilled at the plank the to the cliff. And then there would be uh, a cartoon, and then there'd be one of Pathé News, and then there would be two features, and five hours after I got in, I'd stagger out with a splitting headache, but I had lost myself into that whole wonderful world that took me again out of was. so, my growing up in Brooklyn, I had a good home, good home environment, two sisters, good mom and dad, and um you know and we played the street games, and of course, my mother pushed me ahead three times between third grade and fifth grade. I was a year and a half younger than everybody that I played with, so not only was I skinny and not terribly well coordinated, but I was all that much younger, so when they chose up teams. I was always the kid picked last. And my daughter, when she heard this story later in life, said, I'm going to write a book called I Picked My Daddy Last.
0: (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, just what's standing out to me, but before I say this, let me remind folks that are just tuning in or just turning on their radios that the television and mortal, Sonny Fox is my version. You got it. I got it. it. I got it right. And uh, he has been at this so long and thrilled to have Sonny Fox, Frank McKay, here with the television and, and radio legend Sonny Fox. Uh, th- what's standing out to me is that your mother pushed your head two two times. What was the purpose of three that? Time, three, three times. Three times. How come?
1: Because they would, they're the teachers who would call her and say, your son is not doing the work he's capable of. And my mother, Gittle Gertrude, would say, of course not. She's bored move them ahead. Now, I wasn't consulted on this, of course. I knew, all I knew was I moved from 3A to 3B, or 4B to 5A, or whatever. I'd, I'd go across the room sometimes, because both 3A and 3B were in the same room, you just cross the room and get another desk. But whatever it was, I graduated at 16 and a half instead of 18. And I graduated from James Madison High School in January of 42, not June of 42. And that changed my life. That The fact that I graduated in the winter than the summer, changed my whole life. Because of a draft. That? Well, it, not really. Uh, I so here's what here are the circumstances. Number one, the reason I graduated in January is because I skipped three times and I was in the off year part of it, and I graduated in the middle of the year with others like me. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, I, being the I described, had no ambition as to what I was going to be, no expectations of being successful particularly in anything. So Dad was in textile. So I matriculated at North Carolina State to study textiles. That was the big textile school. And they accepted. Okay, I was accepted. but they did not start allow you to start until the fall term. So now I was looking at six months of hanging around and doing nothing. Then the last component was the month before I graduated, World War II broke out. And I knew even at 16 and a half, I would eventually be drafted. And I didn't want to wait around six months. So I convinced my dad that I would go to NYU for, for, the, for that term and take credits that were transferable. So that when in the fall, you went to North Carolina State, I would be that far ahead in my college education. And so I went to NYU. And I started looking around to see what, what I wanted to take as courses. And I thought sort I of had radio production and radio writing. I thought, to myself, oh, that sounds like A-B courses. Well, I'll just take those. Now, when I get there and I started taking those courses, about three months and I suddenly found something I really wanted to do. For the first time, I felt well. I felt accepted. I felt adequate. And I felt that I could do so. Now, if, if, I'm allowed to push me ahead, <clears throat> if North Carolina State had let me come in in February instead of September, if World War II hadn't broken out, I would have been a textile tycoon and you wouldn't even be talking to me.
0: <laughs> well, maybe. But that's know.
1: the way fa- So, so So here's what I learned, and what I always tell people about, what they ask me about life, and, you know, what lies ahead. Yeah, life happens to you. You can draw up all the game plans you want, but life will take a big red pencil and draw lines to it where you don't expect it and rewrite. And Doors will open up you never expected. And trapdoors will open up too, by the way, on the way. But I always, my impulse is always to walk through that door. I am, I, I am not into deep-seated examination so much as I am to if it feels right. If it's a good, interesting challenge, go for
0: it. Yeah, I no, I, lo- I love it. I, I think it's great advice then and now, and certainly a, a kind of a universal uh, and timeless set of advice from Sonny Fox. That's the voice you're hearing and the incomparable uh, tell me. when I came
1: back, I'm sorry to jump in, That's but okay. I just to When I came back from my two and a half years experience in the infantry, and in Europe and in the prison camp. And so on. I, was an entirely, I am who I am today. I, you know, I, I found out who I really was. I found out what I could deal with. I found out I could guilty. with uh, all of those things. So when I came back to NYU to resume my education, uh, I was boy I was a, you know, I, I was. Uh, Fully formed now, and I'm very confident in who I was after that. I don't accept, I don't recommend that as an annealing process for any teenager who's listening to go through what I went through. Uh, Outward Bound does that these days. But uh, it it is, it was an extraordinary way, if you survived it, really find out about yourself. Mm.
0: Sonny Fox, once again, Frank McKay here with Television Immortal. Sonny Fox, and uh, the former host of Wonderama, and also that, if, if I recall this correctly, the $64,000 challenge, not the question, right? Yep. And, and right. The, the challenge. And that was probably, was that before or after the scandal?
1: Oh, we're sure. I mean, uh, all those big money uh, shows were caught up, but and it, it was over $64,000 challenge fifty four thousand question, 21, uh, all of those. <laughs> it was not a glorious time in television history.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a, a a a time where I guess everyone just believed everything you threw at them, and then all of a oh, sudden absolutely. that happened.
1: I know I, I know, I did. I mean, I understood when I first became the first host in 1956. I believed that they thoroughly knew the the competence and the uh, the, the depth of the expertise of of any of their guests. And they were. I mean, these people were profoundly, uh, deeply uh, knowledgeable of whatever area they were supposed to be knowledgeable in. Uh, And and so the producers knew where their knowledge lay. And if, indeed, for some reason or other, they wanted not to have that, person continued because if you if you if you kept going up the from the from the beginning to six to 8,000, 16, you know it was the whole ladder up a week. If somebody to boston some building ratings they didn't like that person, they wanted to get rid of them, they could subtly shift the questioning. For instance, if somebody came in and this is a real story, if somebody came in and said, My expertise is eighteenth century poetry, they could give him the title of his expertise in English literature. Now, if you know they could feed him very difficult questions into his area of expertise, then he would be fine. And we would be impressed. But if they wanted to dump him, suddenly they were asking him questions of Beowulf in medieval yeah. literature, his eyes glazed over, and he was out. Okay, I sort of, I sort of got the sense that that's the way they controlled that. Because I know for a fact, because I had lunch I knew Joyce Brothers later. But that when Joyce Brothers came and she you know, she was a cute blonde psychologist and and presented herself as an expert in boxing. That's the kind of yeah. opposition they love, the improbable. And so she was, she had made herself that. And she was going on eight thousand, she was up to sixteen thousand, and Charlie Repsett, who was the head of Ravlon, who was the principal sponsor of sixty four thousand dollars, of course did tell um, said, Dumper. She doesn't wear lipstick. She's not the kind of woman I want to be on my show. Now, that was terrible. But they obeyed him, and they next week she got on, it was about, you know, prize fighting, and they suddenly were asking questions about referees. Not oh, what? Wow. And you know what? She knocked it out anyway. She knew it. And so they let her go down. They, they went back to the stretch and she became $4,000. She got to the top and became very famous. But but that was not good enough. There was a show called 21, and they were starting off. And they, this is a true story, because I know it from the guy who produced it. Um, the first time they were on, not one of the contestants for the whole half hour got anything right. Not one question was answered correctly for the whole half hour. That was when they were playing it straight. And the sponsor said to them, one more like that, they're off the air. Nah. So they started, the next week, they gave everybody the answers that they wanted to keep on and told them how to act. And that was the first show that that, that was corrupted as far as we know. But it then spread. Then they started giving, now I was off $54,000 talent after the fifth month. So I didn't get that deeply into it the next two years. But from conversations I had with the people who were involved, gradually they, they would give somebody a book and you "The answer is in there." Next week. Yeah. Or so. Then they got to be arrogant. They were very powerful, very arrogant, and they started, you know, managing it all and giving the course the answers to the people they wanted. Didn't they like Charles Fator And, and uh, you know, and if they wanted to knock them off, they fixed that also. So the whole thing turned out to be very corrupt. And when I spoke to the I, I did I did work many years later with a man who was producing twenty one and I said, you know, we would have to document he said, No, it was entertainment. We weren't doing anything. Else. I said, No, you were committing a fraud. You were saying this, this is a legitimate uh, test of the expertise and it wasn't. And you were you know, you were tricking the whole nation. So he agreed not to talk about it afterwards. He finally came to the, the documentary on it for the Chris Show, which, well, by the way, I'm on, too. And it's an excellent Chris Joe, uh documentary. It's absolutely excellent. That's Julian Crane, I believe, was the producer of it. Um, and if anybody wants to know more about it, put your hands on that one. Because the movie, it was the one of Robert the movie was good, too. But the, the, the documentary is really a very good presentation of that terrible part of our history.
0: Yeah. I mean, it something that you said in there that, you know, they feel that it's entertainment. I guess you could make that argument about wrestling, you know, pro wrestling and and so forth. But Sonny Fox yeah,
1: but, yeah, oh. yeah, but mostly except for my father who always thought it was, most yeah. people understood it was show is
0: Yeah, well that's but right. anyway,
1: it was not propagated across the country as this one. I mean this was a phenomenon. You could, I used to walk on a Sunday evening when $54,000 question was on. And the windows would be open on a hot summer day before air conditioning. And out of every window, you could hear Al March and $54,000 question. So I knew how popular these shows were and how popular. We were either one, two, or three every week in the country. And, you know, to propagate this kind of thing on such a vast scale was to absolutely, uh, you know, present the corruption of a whole industry. And they didn't get punished very badly. Only no. two of the producers, 21, sort of got exiled. But uh, but, the, but the networks walked away clean, and you know, they got the their slapped at the Senate hearing. But I'll tell you how bad it was. Um, what was the name of that young actress who did spelling that? She went on to a great career. Oh, God.
0: Hey, wh- while you're thinking of that, let me remind folks of who they're listening to. Sonny Fox. Is our very special guest, uh, former uh, children's store—I'm uh, sorry, uh, children's uh, entertainment television uh, pioneer. There wasn't much of that back then, and Sonny Fox was certainly there, and and certainly game show host, uh, a, a television legend, especially in the early days. Frank McKay here with Sonny Fox. Uh, who is the woman you're thinking of? Uh, she, Patty, Patty Duke, Duke, Patty Duke. She just passed away. When she was
1: 12 years old. Patty Duke was on and one. Okay. Now, three years later, the Congress Senate is having a hearing on corruption. And she's called as a witness. Uh, I, the reason I know this story is because lunch, we were having lunch together and Patty told me this story. She was briefed. First of all, she was given the answers on the show. Then three years later, she was briefed by somebody from the production company about how to lie to the Senate now, you want to talk about corruption now yeah. want to fix this show now you 're telling a twelve a fifteen year old young woman who's going to go before a Senate committee and swear on you know on oath that that this is going to be true. and 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 was taught how not to tell the truth to the Senate now as it happens when she finished her testimony and she lied as she was about to step down one of the avuncular senators. Turned and said, Now, Patty, is everything you told us to the truth? And she said, She burst into tears and said, No. And they put her back on the stand and she told the truth. But that is the dismaying the story.
0: Yeah. I mean, no, well, without question. Hey, we're coming up on a break, Sonny. Do we have you for a second segment? Sure. I'm thrilled to have him, Sonny Fox. And before we go to a quick break, Frank McKay here. With the uh, uh, television star and and radio star and a little little bit of everything along the years, if you want to see this uh, this man in action, he's actually going to be doing a wonderama. Is that correct? Is that in Brooklyn? Tell us about this. Hey,
1: pardon.
0: Uh, Tell us about where where can we see you? It's going to be at a school. Oh, oh.
1: I'm (laughs) I'm going to be doing something for the high school. I graduated from James Madison High School. For the alumni to help raise money for them in Brooklyn on Saturday afternoon, April 29, 2 in the afternoon, uh, at Madison High School Auditorium. And we're going to have a sort of an evocation, if, if you will, of one drama. I mean, I, I have clips of the show, I have my anecdotes and all that, but what I'll have in the audience are my kids, who will now be hmm, 57 to 72, <laughs> something like that, in that age range. Um, but they're still my kids. And they will walk in there, and they will have their stories, their anecdotes, their memories that they will be feeding back. So I, I'm only going to have to do half the lifting. They're going to do the rest. I know that. And the remarkable, absolutely incredible thing that has happened out of that one thing I've done. I've done, you know, $2,000 uh, and many other shows I've produced and performed in. The one that still is in my life of from Wonderama because of the extraordinary relationship that we built with each other and we'll talk about that later when you come back Yeah, but anyway, but it'll be great fun because listen, if you're of the right age and you remember Wonderama come on down and be 10 years old again for two and a half hours
0: well listen, wonderful having you here and it's going to be wonderful to have you back right after this break, Sonny Fox will be with me, Frank McKay, we'll see you right after this Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 103.9 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Sonny Fox. Television immortal, Sonny Fox. How's that? And as we were uh, coming on to break, we were talking about Wonderama. And uh, Sonny was the host of of that show prior to Bob McAllister, I believe, right? Bob McAllister was yeah, kind of yeah, who I grew yeah. up with. And you were right before him. Uh, let's talk about that. How did that start?
1: Well, Wonderama is going back a long way on General Five. But it started way back, I think it was nine hours when it first started off in the previous start days of television when they had time, space, no money. And then there was a six hour version, which I think Sandy Becker and Chuck McCann did for many years. Six hours. Not with it, just in the studio themselves. And then it went into another. Then uh, when I came into it in 59, there was a guy, I can't remember his name. I do remember that his uh, second in the, on the show, his assistant was Princess Pickle. And the highlight of that show was these uh, these little turtles you could buy at 5 cents and so on. And they would have turtle races. Kids would pick out which turtle they wanted. That was a highlight of their show. And it was four hours. And they asked me to come, and they said they want to, uh, you know, increase, make it classier, make it better. show, what I do. So I I had been doing CBS, uh, let's take a trip every Sunday, uh half hour, live. We were the first live, remote live network show done, and we did live shows in those days. They didn't have miniaturization you know, of the equipment. We trundled the cameras out of the studio, the big cameras, and on the, on the little dollies, and then the big coax cables, which were thicker than the size, and on. Uh, so it, 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 having done that, I thought, I don't know what the meaning to go to a local station to do a show with like this, but I you know, and it it became a different kind of a show than any other kids show. I mean, And by the way, every local station uh, in America by that time had some version of the show. I mean, it had become the the, the place to do kids' shows. And this was Sunday morning. But Saturday also was the network, Sunday with a local station. And ah, I had four hours. I had no production budget. Now on the station, they you know we had to say during the week you we had Sandy Becker, Chuck McCann, Super Say, great performers who worked very hard at their craft and, and did wonderful stuff. And the kids adored them properly so. Now I'm Sunday. I've got four hours, no production budget, and no talent. Mm. I mean, I don't do puppets. I don't do <laughs> magic. Uh, I don't throw pies. I, you know, that's not what I do. So what the hell was I going to do? So I, on my show, that on the other the other shows that I described, the kids were the audience and they loved. Their performers, and appropriately so, on my show, the kids became the show. Because, because I had no talent. The only resource I had, really, basically, was the kids. I had 50, 75 kids in the audience, and they, and the bond we built up of, of 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 trust between us, so that they would share with me what was going on, and and I discovered that every child has a very interesting interior life. And by tapping into that part of children which nobody else was doing, uh, they were overtly entertaining them. I was absolutely uh, doing something different. I was living with them and and having conversations with them that became very fascinating and funny and startling and, and whatever you want it to be. And then there was a trust that grew up between us so that I it ended up I could take them anywhere. And that was a challenge. They would go with me anywhere. And so I would do things and present things, the opera and, and, and Shakespeare. And, and I once had this insane idea. I was going to teach the kids some aspects of the theory of relativity. <laughs> you know the definition of the word hurts, but that's it. Um Mm-hmm. So I went I thought about it for a long time and just thought, Well I can let's see, I said ninety percent of the speed of sound, at thirty six inch yards becomes become eighteen inches, that's fine. And the heart is a clock as well as a muscle that could be time There's the story and there's this thing that I thought it bits and pieces I could drop in during the show in between cartoon. Well the day came when this was going to happen. And as I was going through these pieces, I looked around at my cameraman who was standing there with his jaws hung slack and the drool coming out of the sides of the mouth and the eyes closing. And I thought to myself, oh God. And then I could hear in my voice the kid saying, Marty, what's he talking about? And then the older (laughs) brother saying, it's okay. Bunch Bunny is coming up in three minutes. (laughs) So on Monday, on Monday, I I, opened up the Arbitron rating to see how much of the audience we had lost. No, he hadn't Lost one point of our ratings. That's what I mean. The kids trusted me now. They would go anywhere with me. So we had Bobby Kennedy on, you know, once a year, and all of yeah. It was a show that allowed me to just expand the horizon because my kids were going to be with me no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that we knew at the time we were very popular, and we could read the ratings and the uh, the money, you know was making a lot of money off our show, and I was doing okay. Uh, I had started Saturday morning, I had started six, uh, Just for Fun, which was the blue team versus the gold team and a game, of, you know, in competitions. That I did because I wanted some more money they would give me a raise on Wonderama. Hmm. But when I finally got enough money for Wonderama after five years, I dropped that show and just got started on Wonderama. But I, now, we knew we were private. What well, we could not have known. And we know today is that 50 years later, if I meet somebody who is at the right age and who watch the show, and no matter how distinguished they were now, they fell apart and became 10 years old to get upon seeing. I mean, yeah, for instance, I was doing a show with Alan J. Lerner, they were, you know, the, 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 the lyricist and the book writer for My Fair Lady and yeah. all those great shows. And I was standing in the theater, the Theater in New York. We were just loading in. I was just standing there blankly looking out at the empty theater, just thinking it early in the morning as people were loading in. And I knew that the door had opened, and the stage door had opened. I you know, sensed that, but I didn't look. And then suddenly, that whoever came in just stopped cold. That drew my attention. And I looked over, and there was a double bass player coming in, part of the band. And he was had from the cold January air, uh, his buttoned up, buttoned up, buttoned in his overcoat, tunneling his double base. And he stopped and he looked at me. And he said, This is cold. The toy you gave me broke. Uh-huh. Now, this, this is decades. Ago. I said, How old are you? He said, 35. Wow. I said, by, by now, the toy I gave you should have broke. <laughs> Those are the kinds of meetings i get now i was that the current new yorker editor who was uh, 1960, nineteen sixty i'm sorry nineteen uh, two thousand and eight published a book called the bridge about obama life leading up to becoming president very big tome yeah. of a book and a good one and he was coming out here to, to california to uh, you know he was selling the book. So uh, he was going to be at the the rector's Guild Theater. I said to my beloved, let's go see him. I've never met him, but I understand he's very funny and very smart. So she couldn't go that night, so I took a friend and came with me. And as he was talking, he was was amusing, he was funny, he was witty, he was smart. But I also found out he grew up in the state of New Jersey from what he said. And I could sense how old he was. I whispered to my friend, I said, he's one of my kids. He said, what do you mean? I said, he was. my show." how do you know it? I said, I just. Later, when, this show, when his uh, presentation was over, I went out to the lobby. And he was going to be signing copies of his book, which were on sale in the lobby. So I went over, and I plunked down $31.95. See how I remember that amount. Yeah. That's a lot <laughs> for a book. And then got on line B and shuffled toward the Holy Grail where he was sitting. And I finally get up there and he says, good evening. I said, good evening. I put the back down. I said, just sign it. Just sign it. He jumps up. He says, no way. Oh my God. You know, and, and he signed it to the master. And we wow. had to have lunch. We had to have lunch. So it's the pervasiveness and the power of that relation. Something we could not have known we were doing what we were doing is both awesome and frightening. Awesome. Because here it is, fifty years later, and I think to the kids, come on down to James Madison High School and you know, we can get together and maybe probably for the last time. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Excuse me. And and they're responding <laughs> and they're excited. And you know, I know I know what will happen when we get there. It'll be a really good, wonderful getting together again and sharing of experiences and having I, and words that I was on the spelling bee, I missed not, and also at least one or two will say, "I won Simon says and i cheated, and i and I'd have to give them forgiveness right there <laughs> by their forehead and release them for fifty years of this ravaging ravaging terror that they've lived with uh, just but, a, but it's,
0: tremendous it, it, hey let so me cut- that, let me cut you off a second to remind folks of who they're listening to, Sonny Fox, the great sunny Fox, former. Uh, host of the children's show Wonderama and, and so much more than that, but uh, really uh, made himself a legend. And I, I former younger person. And former younger person. Now 91? Are you 91?
1: Yes, specifically close to June 92 when 90? I
0: become 92. Uh, hey, hey, let's, let's go back because we kind of just skipped over this. You had Bobby Kennedy on... Wonder Rama. Now I was born in sixty seven, so you gotta forgive me for not knowing that. I know Bob McAllister, you know, he had uh, like...
1: you were late for to that too? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: I was late for that. But you know, I, I remember Wonderama had, you know, famous guests on or whatever. But you were the predecessor to that and you started off and, and everything I ever I ever remember hearing about you is that you had guests, and I mean major league guest, and Bobby Kennedy, what was your impression of Bobby Kennedy?
1: Uh he was uh that came across a very same way because uh I got he was elected senator in, in uh, let's see sixty four. A year after he was And um, so he was he hadn't yet become senator but he was you know coming up to New York. And I got a call from his people saying The center is going to go into the poorer neighborhoods of New York and do what he was doing in Washington for years, which is to give out toys, food, and just spend some time in those neighborhoods. We would like you to go with. Now, that's a very flattering call to get from this almost physical person. But chutzpah is what animates. So, I said, "Okay, <laughs> here's the deal. That's my exact words. If the Senator will come on my show to talk with Pitt, I'll just Go me back now hour later he got So I went out with him for for three days and uh, I was wary of Bobby Pitt first because I knew he had been out the House on America staff. I knew he was you know uh, somewhat conservative." I, so I didn't know quite what to make of him yet. I had never met him. I don't know about him. So, but there he was without a coat in the middle of December. So I took off my coat for the first day or so. But I said, I'm not running for anything. God damn it, I put my coat back on. Again. But but he was plunging into these crowds, No guards, no nothing. Now this is a year after his brother was assassinated. Mind you. And then that started a relationship which went on. He would come on every year to around, but later he came on to other shows. I did. And he asked, his family asked him to come down and do a show at his home for the children of the, the, the officials who were there from around the world for all day. And I remember that day I did that show. Um, he was away at the work congressman. He came, sent it. he came back toward the end of the afternoon and we were having a drinking to fix a great martini uh, up in his bedroom because he was getting back to go to Africa. And he was looking at this crowd of kids and their families tumbling all over his estate. He says, isn't that wonderful? And that's what he felt. When he talked with my kids on the show, I have a tape, a tape show. Um, I can show some of them. But you watch, he never took his eyes off even when I was next to him talking, he didn't turn to me. He kept watching the kids. And he talked with them. Now, some of us talk at kids. Most of us talk to kids. Some of us know how to talk with them. And Bobby was one of those. And, of course, he had about 11. He had nine when I was it was I was like, can you name all your nine children? He said, oh, God. But it was that. he got about six in a row and then started rooting around to get the other thing. Um, but, but he was warm. He was himself. I would I would call his office I'm coming down. And he say, Well, come by the office. Come by the State Department. And I, and, you know, I stopped saying goodbye. And then he drove me to the airport. And he said, Do you want to come back? You know, and I said, Actually, I want to come back to my house. So that was a release. It was very trusting. It was not close. It was, not, I can't tell you, I was a great friend of his. Close enough. So that after the assassination I got telegrammed invited to the police, St. Patrick's for the for the farewell ceremony and then on the train the body got washed. They said uh very, very a year later I went down there with the camera crew and kids were going by with their families. and I asked the kids their memories of Bobby Kennedy and they would people. And then I went to schools around New York area and said, have you kids who are their memories of that day? So we had the representation on paper plus what we heard. And I did a special year after he died about this. And I tell you, one of the hardest things I ever did was sitting there doing the narrative of this time, which was still very about, powerful. I was lost when we, when, when that train came out of uh, onto the Jersey side after we went through the course the River at the Station way to Washington, we got to the first station, which was jammed with people who would come, you know, just to say goodbye. The train went by, and then the second station, and every station along the way. And as you looked at those people, you saw a phenomenal. Coming together of every strata of American society, every color the economic sense you could include it from people somehow he had been able to break through and bring them all together around him, and we lost something very important
0: you know it's so it's so interesting uh to to hear that memory of Kennedy, but uh, especially just kind of diving into the crowd to haphazardly or, or not haphazardly but uh without a care in the world Frank McKay here with Sonny Fox former host of Wonderama and so much more thrilled to have the uh, the 91 year old who is about to embark on a uh, on a kind of a uh, a, a re up of Wonderama in person for those who want to get together and check it out at James yeah, Madison
1: I think if you go let me let me Something. If you go, go to my website, which is sunnyfoxtv.com, just you know, all, all good, no capital. just sunnyfoxtv.com, all the details of the tickets, which are a big 15 bucks, by the way, uh, and all that money goes to the Alumni Fund. And, and this is my strike also for public education, folks, my support for yeah. public education. Uh, so, anyway, we'll be there from 2 o'clock on. And then, after the show is over, I'll We'll be out at the lobby meeting and meet and greet for as long as anybody wants to do that. So that will be a fun day. And at my age, probably the last time we're going to do something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, and you, all the details about how to get tickets and where to send the money and all that stuff. SunnyFoxTV.com. And by the way, if you're a graduate of Sonny Fox TV uh, and in person, you know, there, you'll, you'll be seeing there's a lot of clips, a lot of memories, a lot of new stuff in there. It's a fun place to root around and some bio stuff in there, too. So uh, that's a good, you might find that a good
0: Sonny, you, you mentioned that and you kind of mentioned it uh, lightly, you know, that this might be the last time you do something like this. Uh, how important is, is legacy? And you also mentioned the, the tapes. You have the tapes of Bobby Kennedy on your show, and I'm sure there's all types of other memories on those shows. Uh, you're 91 years old, you have to be thinking to yourself uh, that, uh, you know, you hope that these memories outlast you and your kids and me and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and, and everything else. Are, are you doing anything to to make sure that happens? Uh, is there any, any kind of legacy plan?
1: Well, I wrote a book called, I wrote a book called, But You Made the Front Page, and it's available up on, um, you know, Amazon and so on, which has a lot of this in there, that was the way I did it. And it, uh, it did the whole thing. From Brooklyn right on through all the experiences a long way. Uh, uh, my, my, you know, working with the best composers and lyricists in Broadway musicals, I became friends with Alan J. Lerner, Dick Barber, Kendra Neff, and, and still with Sheldon uh, Tarnik, who wrote the, the lyrics for uh, uh, two great shows. But these are the guys who created the, what I call the Golden Age Broadway musicals and and, and it shows with them i i worked with really Harris i worked with Colleen Zuffer i you know just an incredible wonderful uh life of of having been involved with I all mean, i was chairman of the board of the television staff for a lot of stuff about the but 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 um so it's been but but the, even the title is you know ask me why is it called what you made why? Oh, what a good question. <laughs> I was rooting around for a title for the book. And people said, Well, you've got to put one around the title. I said, Well, it's my whole life. It's a lot of life So I was getting close to the point where I was had to get a title for it was to be published. And I was telling somebody this anecdote about when I did, I was vice president of children's programming at Ed. And NBC started that they had to get rid of three hundred jobs one of those times when they have to do a cutback. And they figured children's television, now we can fold that at the daytime so we can get rid of the battle. So they got rid of they gave me a notice I was out. So the post, New York Post the next day, big old banner headline on the front page, blood bath at NBC. Wow. And then they listed some of the more prominent victims of this, but there was only room on the front page for one name. <laughs> me. Wow. So I'm staring balefully at this on my desk. My secretary comes and says, your mother's on the phone. I pick up the phone and say, hi, Gary. a what? She said, congratulations. I said, what? She said, I'm looking at the post. I said, ma, it says I got fired. <laughs> and then she said, yeah, but you made the front page. Yeah. So the ability to turn a negative into a positive, which is really thematic in my book, which is really my failures as well as my success. I have had failures, and and the idea is, I guess the lead motif in the book, if I had to identify one, is how to fail without being a failure. You show somebody who has never failed, I'll show you somebody who's never taken a risk. Right, and. And so that's the theme and that's why when I heard myself saying that story, I said, ah, that's what the book is about. So well, that's why it's called What You Made the One Stage. But it's encyclopedic through the history of television. I don't know if anybody out there remembers the uh uh candid camera.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they do. You're kidding, Candid camera's a uh, another so station.
1: My first job in nineteen forty seven out of college was candid microphone which was the radio forerunner on ABC 55 weeks. a And we invented, I, we first started, we weren't even doing these on tape. We were doing these on wire. And I became, I had to edit wire. You'd like to hear how to edit wire, let ask. Wow, wow. You gotta be kidding. So I, mean. I run the gamut from radio, and the first thing, all the way, the last thing I did that I got paid for was a consultant on a digital TV series on, on, uh, uh, over, uh, over the air, uh, not, not the network, uh, Lulu. Yeah. For, for teenage, like uh, 40. So I've spent a lot <laughs> of, of the history of this system.
0: It's just it's just amazing. I, I mean, it's a it's a study in the entertainment business. It's a study in the in the history of, of electronic media. Yeah, uh, well, so much really of that
1: is. is in the book uh, in my book. So if anybody really wants to study the history of of the thing, as well as get the personal anecdotes of my life of of being a foreigner, I was a war correspondent. I was yeah, you know, I've been everything uh, at some point or a uh, along the way, and now my favorite. My my greatest achievement
0: is I'm alive. <laughs> At 91 years old, you're you're all, uh, all but alive, and it's just it, it, honestly, there's a lot of years left. I can tell there's a lot of years left. And, uh, and listen, I uh, well, you got you got you got a direct line to God. I I think I do. I think I have a a vibe. Ooh. I have a vibe to God, and and I just have a feeling you're going to be well into well into your hundreds. I listen. I want to get a part two. If you can promise me, we get a part two and a part three. Coming up, but as we close out, let's remind people that they could see Sonny Fox. I will be there, Frank McKay. I will absolutely oh, be there. Great. I'm okay. buying well, a make
1: ticket. Make sure, and, sure you, uh, you come up on the salt so and you.
0: And it's only it's only fifteen dollars to see this. This is uh, th- this is entertainment history. And James, not,
1: yeah, Let me emphasize: it's not just to see it's Right,
0: right, exactly. I want to hear, hear
1: the stories. I want to hear the anecdotes. I want somebody just wrote to me in a little email thing. Oh, I'm sitting here having coffee and toast. And I learned how to make toast by watching your show. And I think that was my yeah, my son, Dana, who toward the end of the series used about five or six years old I had him on as the littlest chef. Put a toast on, you know, on him. And <laughs> I said, teach kids how to make breakfast with the parents. Completely. So he did. He made scrambled eggs. Wow. And, uh, and I they just thought I how to make toast. And, and now... 51 years later, I'm hearing from this guy saying, I learned how to
0: make those things." It's unbelievable. Uh, Sonny Fox, uh, just thrilled. It's an honor, and I don't say this often, but it's an absolute honor to speak to you and to have you on the show. I just want to thank you one more time for being here. Everyone, go to SonnyFoxTV.com. Is that right? Yep. Sonny Fox TV, not television, right? SonnyFoxTV.com. That's all
1: one word. SonnyFoxTV, all
0: one word. Not- go there and join us join us at James Madison High School to see Wonderama live. Sonny Fox, thanks a million for being here.
1: You're welcome, and thanks for the plug And and, and regards to all who are listening, and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you.